Well, I've been excited about today for some time, uh, specifically about the details of today for about two weeks, and I'm excited not just because I, I, I get another Sunday where I don't have to prepare a full sermon uh, and instead get to focus a little bit on some longer-term stuff, but I'm excited even, even more than just the specifics of today because to me there's nothing like a story to illustrate truth. And today we get to peek into a story of someone's life that illustrates truths we've been trying to talk about and preach about and teach about and do for the last couple years. We've talked a lot about living life as friends with faith, and we've defined that many different ways. If you're new here, you will hear that term over and over again. It's something that really is defining increasingly who we are. And we get it from Scripture. We get it from Scripture. Jesus says this in, in talking to people. He, this is in, in sorry, Matthew eleven eighteen through twenty. My eyes weren't catching it, and I was stuttering. You like the stuttering this morning? Here's what it says. Jesus says, "For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, speaking of himself." Jesus is saying, and they say, "Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors." And sinners, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus then makes this profound statement. He says, But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. And we've defined friends with faith in the way we relate to one another, in the way we care for one another. We've defined friends with faith in the way that God wants to treat us, that God Himself says to us, He wants to be our friend. We've defined friends with faith from the perspective of how people come to faith. I don't know about you, but I was raised in the church, and many of you who were raised in the church were taught that people come to faith, and and we witness to people by trying to convince them of the truth of God. And Jesus is here saying that the simple act of friendship, that wisdom proves him right that God wants to reveal himself to all of us as friends. And it changes the way we think about journeys of faith. It changes the way we think about helping people come to faith. And it makes it really simple. And you're going to see that illustrated in the story in a moment. In fact, Jesus is so serious about this that in Matthew 26, 50, Jesus says this to, to Judas when he's coming to betray him. He says, do what you came for, friend. Now, for many of us, when we've been betrayed in life or when we've been hurt by other people in life, and we, if we were to say that, we would be saying that friend with a sarcasm. But Jesus, throughout his ministry, and, and, and doesn't treat people that way. He treats people who are against him with the kindness and gentleness and the respect of a friend. I want you to listen to a journey of faith of one of our very own, Steve Rockwell. He's a man who's been a part of, he and his family have been a part of Quest for nine years. And throughout that time, I think he would describe his journey as being one in which uh, he wanted to believe, but he was skeptical at times, and other times he was unsure, and other times he was unconvinced, and other times he was just plain unwilling to believe. All throughout this journey, those words have described him and Steve like, is like most of us in this room. That's the reason I'm so pleased to have him come and talk because he's just like you. He's just like me. He's just like each one of us. He's a, he's a successful businessman. 
He's a branch bank manager, and, and, and his, he specializes in taking banks that are underperforming and the lowest of performance, even on threatening to be closed, the branches, and he's turned four of them around just in the last year into top ten producing branches of the bank. He's an intelligent, hardworking, successful, solid guy that, all, that represents who all of us are. He's a husband, and he's a father, and he just wants to be a good husband and a father, and he's been very intense in his journey to faith. And I want you to welcome Steve as he tells us his story today. Come on, Steve. The first service was terrifying, which is what I opened up with. And uh, this one's awesome because there's a lot of people in here that are in the story. So if your name gets called, just raise your hand or yell out, I know that guy. So... Um, so I had two choices this week after I got baptized uh, that, uh, that Ross gave me. I could either give the sermon or I could clean the baptistry after I was done. So I chose to come up here and speak. So, um, What's interesting is we refer to it as a walk. But for me, it hasn't been a walk. It's been sometimes a trot, sometimes a turning the other direction, sometimes the old standoff. Um, and part of it's because I always sought from a defensive position, so I never really made any progress, but I asked a lot of questions. And in my walk, there was a point where somebody said to me, you need to lean into God. You need to open your heart up and seek from, from there. Like you, so you truly want the answers. What he didn't tell me, though, was that when I leaned my head in like that, God's probably going to get me in a headlock, and that's exactly what happened. And he actually drug me to the foot of the cross. And that's where I was at the end of December, sitting there trying to figure out how I got there and honestly what I was going to do about it. So that's where we're going to start. Um, in late 2008, I, uh, I had a couple horrible commission months. I was selling investments at the time. And... Um, you know anything about that business, when you have a bad month, you have a bad month. It's usually negative. And I had two in a row. So I got the awesome opportunity to come home and tell my wife that we were way out of money and probably were going to owe some people. Uh, when we got into the conversation a little bit, I think I even mentioned the imaginary money tree in the backyard that we may have, other men have, may have alluded to at times. Uh, and I explained to her that I had already shaken that tree and nothing came out. <laughs> so... It's okay to laugh, by the way. My real response, actually, was to start hyperventilating. That's what I did. I hyperventilated, uh, got very shaky, and then I passed out and slid awkwardly down the stairs. I had what they call a panic attack. And that was the first of a few. And they always seem to come at times when God wants to use them to reveal that I don't and can't control anything. My second attack was a lesser one, but I came, it came at a territorial meeting for the company I was working for at the time, and the boss who was running the ship uh, had an open opportunity for another promotion, and he offered up anybody that wanted to go become the boss, go up to room 306 to get videotaped doing a sales presentation. Instead of being excited about it, I, I did what every man would do, and I cussed him up and down and used the absolute filthy language to... Uh, to describe the guy who was giving me an opportunity here. 
The reason was is because he put me in a position not for success in my mind, but, um, but for failure. I might look stupid. My third attack came this year. It's funny to me now, but it was at a Christmas party, and some of my peers were playing We Dance, which anybody that knows me knows that I have the high score at home. Uh, I play with my kids all the time, and uh, even on Michael Jackson, this is it. I got this handshake, the jazz hands, and I crush Nicole every time we play. In fact, while I went ahead and did this, I started to have a panic attack that I had to go outside and calm down. Nobody knew, but somebody did comment at the party that watching me dance was way sadder than they had anticipated. (laughs) Here's the thing. I don't like to be wrong. I don't like to lower my machismo for anyone. My favorite words. I don't like the unexpected. I don't like to be seen as stupid. I don't want to be seen as soft, and I'm not going to put anything else in front of me. And as I'm saying it out loud, I sound like a very prideful person. Perhaps that's my issue. I've always led my family with that pride as well, but more of a prideful resentment. Nothing's really gone wrong with it up until this point. I always was a member of the church. I went on a lot of mission trips. I did premarital counseling here at this church. And if you ask Ross and Denise, I voiced my completely baseless theological opinion on lots of church issues. None of it made a difference to me. I've always led my family via what I call a democratic system, which means that everybody gets a vote, so therefore I don't have to uh, actually stand for anything of substance. And it led to when I'd meet people in the church that had an inner peace to them that I didn't understand. In my mind, they had to be liars, right? They had to have some dirty secret that they weren't telling. So in 2010, uh, my brother called me on the way to work, and this is where everything kind of started off. He and I got into a discussion about, for some reason, why uh, we never talked about Jesus in our house. My mom always talked to us about it, but we never really had those deep, heartfelt discussions about what it really meant to have a relationship with Christ. So we had a long, heartfelt conversation and a text messaging battle. And my brother, I'm going to bow him out here as well as my mom because this isn't about them. But at the end of that, I really felt like just a nasty scab had been just torn off of me and shown to me. Like, look, here, this is you. Those were Darren Hoover's words, by the way. I ran out to lunch that day. And I was listening to um, 91.5, and there was a Scottish pastor on there talking about, uh, again, what it means to have a personal relationship with Christ. I feel crazy even telling this story. I always do. But as I was sitting there listening to this, not making sense, it wasn't making sense to me, two cars pulled up in front of me, and on the left hand, the license plate said, his son, and on the right hand, it said, died for you. D-Y-E-D, four, and the letter U. Hilarious. If anybody knows my ironic sense of humor, there it is. I thought, if God actually created me, this is for me, because he gets it. So I drove back to work and put it all out of my mind, and a client who owns a painting company showed up later that day. I'd never met him before, but I was a branch manager, so I work with business clients. I was totally excited to talk to him, and that delight lasted 10 seconds, because that's how long it took him before he started to tell me that he, while he never had met me before, was sent to come talk to me about the Holy Spirit that day. (laughs) 
He's a healing pastor at a local church. And he took a moment to tell me to bury my pride at the foot of the cross. He's seen healing firsthand. He talked in tongues. He'd seen pure repentance, pure redemption, and he's been overcome by the Holy Spirit. He told me point blank, kind of with his finger in my face, nobody's going to remember you for how much pride you had. Nobody's going to put that on your tombstone or how you keep people at arm's length. So I sat there for a minute and listened to him rip all the scabs off of me. It was actually closer to an hour, and he had never met me before. So my reaction was the logical one, which was complete anger. I had work to do, and I was tired of getting interrupted by all these potential supernatural interruptions. I had email to check. I had my desk to organize, other useless things. So what I did was open up about my walk, and I told him so much detail. I told him anything and everything I could possibly tell him about how just abhorrent I was so that he would leave. Because that's my spiritual gift, keeping people at arm's length by telling them way too much information. But he wouldn't leave. Blasted painters. <laughs> While he was talking, I googled painters union, tried to find a shop steward number that I could file a complaint with. That doesn't exist, in case you ever get a situation. So I was stuck. And he really wanted to give me a hug at this point, which people that know me, not good. So I accepted a prayer instead. Worst idea ever. He prayed, and I quote, that more people would show up that day to tell me about the Holy Spirit and push me into God's light so that my character would be revealed in his perfection. You ever see yourself in a mirror when you're trying on pants and you see yourself in the round and realize that you've just added 40 LBs to your rear end? That's what that moment felt like. So after digesting this, a a longtime friend of mine, Dan Moore, who owns Dan's Deli over at uh, Home Depot, if any of you have ever had the hot dogs, that's my little plug for him. I've known Dan for about 12 years, so for him to show up uh, really wasn't anything out of the ordinary. What was odd, though, was his request to speak with me in private. Why not? This day hasn't been weird at all, right? (laughs) So he opened up with this. Steve, I know we've known each other for a long time. God woke me up this morning and said I needed to drive over here and share with you that you shouldn't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. So I gave, I drove here 30 minutes, and now you're going to listen for five. I want to tell you about my walk with Jesus Christ, is what he said. And I want to show you that even a control freak like me needs to give themselves over to somebody who's done way bigger things. Oh, crap. We talked father and son for about two hours, and um, Dan's a straight shooter, but i got to tell you, there's a big window in front of my office. I had already, I left this detail out earlier, but I had already gone in there into the corner where nobody could see me and cried after talking to my brother. So all these people coming in, seeing this reaction between Dan and I, had to wonder what was going off in there. But Dan... Uh, told me something that finally sparked my journey. See, I shared with him that in my secret journey that I was on, I'd read over 100 to 150 books about Jesus and religion and everything, trying to find some sort of answer for the hole that was in my heart. And Dan told me that while he was a young Christian, 
he went into his church to get baptized. He just walked in, and he told the pastor, I can't wait any longer. I need to be baptized right now. And the pastor said, well, we're all booked up for about the next two or three months, so we'll get you scheduled in. And he asked him, he challenged him, where does it say in the Bible that you wait and schedule your baptism? And the pastor said, well, in our theology, which we've gotten from all of these hundreds of books here on my bookshelf, um, we decided that the sinner's prayer is all you need to move forward. Just say it out loud and you're saved. And Dan was so excited when he told me this. He said, Steve, I saved hundreds of dollars at the bookstore because that guy had to buy all those books just to tell me what was in my one. (laughs) So he left. And he asked me, Steve, have you ever read the book? Oddly enough and humorous enough to me, I had not. He told me to read the Psalms because there's a cry of a lost people in there. And that would ring with me. It would resonate. And then you need to read the Old Testament, which he considered one book. He said, everything you need is in that book. Just that one book. All of your answers. So, Dan demanded an awkward hug, as was the theme of the day. <laughs> and then another prayer, strangely similar to the last prayer. And I headed off to the Christian bookstore to grab a, re- a readable Bible. One with pictures in it, large letters. Things I could get through quickly. I remember Denise Snowden talking uh, about a chronological Bible, and it had never occurred to me the Bible's actually not in order. And that's probably why it never made sense to me before. So I purchased one, and as I was getting into my car, my youth minister, and an honestly very dear friend of mine, Carl Halverson, who uh, just gotten back from some mission work in Albania, uh, returned a phone call to me, and I finally broke again. He started encouraging me and said he'd been praying for me in my walk. A lot of the same stuff. So I sat in my car at the church store at Polaris. I don't know the name of it. That's what I refer to it as. The church store at Polaris, and I was crying. Not just crying. I'm talking sobbing like a baby. Why am I crying? It doesn't matter. I'm not going to stop. I'm just going to keep crying, crying. (laughs) I was angry, sad, upset, unfulfilled and a whole bunch of other I don't know what's. But I had to get back to work. So I I drove back to work, and I pulled into the parking lot. And when I pulled in, uh, I cried again. (laughs) So I called my mom after I calmed down and had just a ridiculously spiritual, bizarre conversation with her that we'd never had before. So I got myself back together at work and and decided to go home. And on my way home, I called Darren Hoover just to kind of tell him about some of the things that had happened during the day. And Darren's been absolutely awesome for me. You know, he's never pulled any punches with me. He saw me for I was and and encouraged me to just let God rip away those scabs. Just let him rip them off and shove them down your throat so that you choke on them, I believe is what he said. He was open and honest about his pains and his questioning of God on a daily basis about why he is put in the situation that he's in. Seek and you'll be sought, is what he said. Lean into God and he'll lean into you. But if you go ahead and lean back again, God's going to expedite your fall by leaning back himself. He expedites your fall because that's when repentance happens and strengthening through grace. So I cried again, because I'm a huge baby. (laughs) And I wasn't sure what was happening. And the cries were giving me a headache and making me feel weak. And I'd cried in front of three men that day. (laughs) 
So I had a massive panic attack in my car. That's not funny. <laughs> so I drove back to the bookstore. I don't know why, but on the way there, I was listening to um, 104.9, the river. Thank you. My daughter did it in the first service, but she's not here. But I was listening to a song by Sanctus called Lead Me, where he talks about leading your family by believing in Christ and letting God lead you. That way your disappointments aren't anywhere near as grand in their nature. And by loving your family enough so that they want to follow you, which started to become a theme for me. So I drove home, thinking about all this stuff. I'm sure I was crying. If I had any left. I drove in, parked, went in to talk to my wife. She probably thought I was crazy. And I walked in, I said, Nicole, I've had the weirdest day, and I don't think I'm leading this family right. And uh, she, she had that smirk on her face. <laughs> uh, I said, just listen to this song. I, it's the only way I can describe it. Just listen to this song. So she listened to it, and that smirk slowly became a, a sad face. And then she cried a lot. And I cried a lot for no reason in my head. But she, oddly enough, comforted me and said, let's figure this thing out. So that was the night that I first cracked my chronological Bible and decided to dig in. And then I didn't open it again for like six months. So in April of this year, I started down a true walk with God. I began reading my, my chronological Bible on a trip to um, Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And the best part is, in the Old Testament, if you've ever read it, there's absolutely hilarious stories that don't make any sense, and I still don't know the, the reason why they're in there. For example, after Sarah finds out Uh, while she's hiding in a tent, that she's about to be with child at an old age. She responds by laughing out loud. When she comes out, God confronts her and says, why did you laugh? And Sarah says, I didn't didn't laugh. And God says, the the greatest response ever, yes, you did laugh. (laughs) Silence, cue the next story. No reason for it. There's another story where after Moses accepts what God's given to him to do for life, the whole story of Exodus, Moses fighting with God not to not do what he, what he says. Moses finally accepts it, and the next sentence says, so God met Moses at a lodge and was going to kill him. <coughs> to me, this is probably the funniest story in the whole Bible because I picture Moses sitting at some beautiful chalet looking up at the ski lift waiting for his skiing partner God and he's drinking out of his uh, Ten Commandments commemorative cup with a, snow, with a Christmas sweater on eating sugar frosted manna cookies just waiting and he looks up and sees this silver bullet come flying down the steps I mean the ski lift I promised my wife I wouldn't tear my pants doing this so there he is back and forth just a big blaze of snow and as he gets to the bottom it's God he slides in with that bully slide that they used to do in the 80s ski movies. And Moses stands up excited because he can't see through the snow. When the snow drops, there's God with a rifle right on his face. And Moses goes, it's me! And God says, oh, Moses! Oh, this is just awkward. That's how I see it. I haven't found a biblical application, but I think what we should learn from this is never go tubing with the Lord. But these early laughs really helped me see the works of men that were completely faulty. They were broken and flawed in some pretty serious ways. 
Two questions came out during this, though. First off, why do I feel like I'm reading the same story over and over again? God saves the people from creation. They love him, they honor him, they glorify him, and then they completely forget him and go desecrate the temple and build Asherah poles and worship Baal. He would send the prophets to try and save him again, and they would make these really outrageous threats. And then God would respond by doing exactly what he promised. Lamenting would happen. Repentance would happen. Revival would happen. Wash, rinse, repeat. I laughed at the stupidity of the Jewish people in the Old Testament. I didn't understand. Why won't they just listen to these prophets? What came out of this, though, is my wife and I started talking about the, the, what I would read at night. She'd ask me, what are you reading? What answers did you find? We started talking about it with our kids or in front of our kids, and our kids started injecting their thoughts, and they were almost always right, straight from the mouth of babes. Our house was full of discussion about philosophy and what it really means to believe. And now I was getting excited to read about the Messiah in the New Testament because I understood him from a more historical context. Think about it for a second. People were sent to 400 years of silence and abandonment exactly as God promised. They practiced and refined their religion, and they made a profit from it in most cases. But the birth of Jesus was a revolution that was punishable by death. And that led to my second question. Why did God allow for so much death in his name? Nicole and I struggle with this quite a bit. And one day I was just kind of reading through a story about how a prophet's wife was given over to death as a sign to the Jewish people. And, you know, the the guy that was writing the pretext warm-up, if you want to call it that, uh, actually put something out there that was really simple. He said, whether God just took her from her uh, or whether she was already sick, we don't know. But what we do need to acknowledge is that God doesn't see death the same way that we do. Pretty simple answer. Everything's made for his glorification. If you don't, even if you don't understand death, it doesn't mean that it has to be feared or lamented. We should probably just be jealous that they got to God first. And again, it was a really simple answer to a complex question. But back to Christ. This dude was a rebel. He was tough demanding and sarcastic. My favorite parts of the New Testament is where God says different variations, or Jesus says different variations of, how long do I have to hang out with you people? (laughs) You're not hearing what I'm saying. But I love it. I mean, that's my sense of humor. But at the same time, he completely terrifies me, because if he lived, which we know he did from the archaeological records, we at least have to acknowledge that. If all those strange signs didn't appear and terrify the people... Then why was a a, a proven mass murder of the children ordered? If he wasn't doing miraculous things, why would these everyday men and women leave their families to follow him, including his own brother? For any of you that have siblings, if you suddenly decided that you were the Messiah, how much convincing would it take to have a, a brother or sister follow you? If that tomb wasn't empty... Why did the Roman government order a a cover-up or a story that it was robbed by the apostles under the very nose of their own guards? He lived. Truth. He was crucified. Truth. He raised from the dead. This is where my walk came to a screeching halt. It's time to make a decision. Here's what I know about myself. This decision wasn't about Jesus. I've always believed. This decision was about following Jesus and what it would mean to my pride. He terrifies me because he he asked 
that we put our purposes and my own ridiculousness aside and pick up a cross. I was scared of being persecuted for being stupid, standing for Jesus, for being a hypocrite, saying the things that maybe weren't in Scripture and being rebuked, not knowing what this means. Because if you take away all the horrible things about me, my spite, my anger, my pride, my ill-timed irony, what would I be? A shell? Apparently a crying baby. So I'm in a men's basketball league on Thursday nights, and I become great friends with a lot of the men who struggle with the same things I do. And after we'd been playing for a while, uh, Dan invited me to... There he is. You're supposed to say you. There you go. Dan and Kyle and Sean all invited me uh, to a men's retreat. In my head, a men's retreat meant that people were crying, and lots of men were asking me for hugs. So nothing sounded like a more terrifying proposition. My arch nemesis, the hug. Anyway, nothing could be further from the truth. These guys confronted me at the retreat about standing for something, for standing for a purpose, for being a man. Being a man means leading your family and leading them through God. Not that you don't struggle. They weren't afraid to speak about it. In fact, they insisted that we all go outside and listen for God's voice. Just listen in the quiet. For those of you that were there may remember this. So I walked around and then I came back about 15 minutes later to report the spiritual fervor that was going on in my mind. And I had one word that kept coming up over and over and over again. I was really embarrassed to say it. Gentlemen, cake. That was my spiritual word, cake. (laughs) Never pray on an empty stomach. Some of the people at my table were a little disappointed because they had much more inspirational words. But Dan encouraged me that one day I'd do something great with that word. Just not sure what it is yet. But what I did realize out of this is that I have a lot of trouble being quiet in my spirit. Even when I'm being quiet, I can't quiet, be quiet. So I joined my friends down by the fire, and I decided that this, this was going to be the point where I was open, and I told them that I wasn't sure whether I really believed enough to follow. That was what I was struggling with. I literally could feel the flames creeping up my legs behind me from the fire, and I wasn't sure whether it was the grasp of hell pulling me down in. It was honestly that hot. So I met with Dan in the hallway, and we started talking about uh, all the reasons why I didn't want to follow Christ. And it came down again, whether it wasn't whether I believed in Christ, it was whether I wanted to follow Because that would mean that I would have to be good enough to be loved. That was really the sticking point. It's a weird thing to consider. If you get past your pride, past all the armor and the facade, you've got to believe whether you are good enough to be for God to send his son to die for. As a father myself, I could never, ever, ever love someone enough to sacrifice one of my own children. It's not going to happen. Nicole and I started into a small group a couple weeks later. Actually, I think it was during that. And we discussed a lot of these questions and things that we had with our group. And it just encouraged us. In fact, I remember Sean told me, the important thing is not to know where you're going. The important thing is to just keep stepping. Keep walking. Keep seeking. 
Find quiet time to ask God your questions. So one night after basketball, five of us stayed to set up for the Connects family celebration, and I got really extremely emotional thinking about all the things that they were going through. I sat there while we prayed, myself, Kyle, Chris, Dan, a couple other gentlemen that joined us, and I had nothing to say. I was just extremely emotional. I was listening to all of them. And for a quick moment in my silence, I heard, we're all just broken. And the stories of the Bible made sense to me. We're all just broken. So I started to weep openly in front of my friends, or as Dan so eloquently put it, here, I wrote this down here, I took a video of you crying and posted it on Facebook (laughs) called Steve Rockwell, Tears of a Clown. But it got no hits, so I took it down. Unfortunately, I left there feeling like there was something missing, like there was something I needed to hear. Another part of that equation. It's really hard with you guys sitting here, but at my celebration a week later, uh, Jay and Mary got up to talk. I absolutely couldn't believe you guys had the strength to do that. I couldn't do that. Near the end of his talk, Jay said, we're all just broken. I tilted my head because I wanted to hear what else he had to say, and your words honestly gave me an eternity in heaven. He said, Peter denied God three times, and God didn't respond with anger and hate. He said, do you love me? That was the other part of the equation I needed. Because yes, I do. We were asked to write on a piece of paper, a heart, what was keeping us from accepting Christ. And I wrote right in that moment, nothing. I'm ready. And I dropped it in the basket. That was me sitting at the foot of the cross that day. And that was what I said. Because it doesn't matter what I become, as I'm seeing now through the writings of Luke on Paul. The gifts that I have are only amplified in Christ. And my weaknesses are amplified even more. So people see that even though we're strong in God, we still need his strength because we're broken. We don't lead our families by demanding that they follow. We lead them by placing our heart in God and passing that love down through so that they want to follow. That's what Jay taught me. That's what Dan and Sean and Kyle and all my friends from the men's groups and basketball taught me. We're going to be great men of this church. We're going to stand for something important, real issues, real love, real Christ. My walk is just starting, and I told, uh, I told some friends, actually I told Sean at the Christmas Eve service that I want to get baptized, and he about jumped out of his shoes, <laughs> so I know he's been working on me, but I didn't, I'm calm, because ex- I was exhausted from all of my excuses, all of my time, all of my energy in trying to find Jesus. I don't want to be a flash in a pan Christian. I want to live with the same passion for Christ that I live for all my ridiculous pursuits and empty pursuits. But I'm excited and I'm scared to death about what I have in front of me. This this summer at the New Albany Pool, I think this is hilarious, but at the New Albany Pool, my son 
jumped in with me. We were in the five-foot water, so about up to here on me. <laughs> Just my short joke. That was for you guys. And whenever I let him go, he freaks out, acts like he's drowning, even though I'm standing right there. And I get so frustrated. I say to him all the time, why don't you trust me? I'm good at this. It's funny to me. But in the end of December, I was sitting at the foot of the cross, and now I know Jesus was saying the same thing to me. So that's my message. And I'm going to do two things to close here. The first one is this. I'm going to go out of my really comfort zone. And I know Ross, after, after I'm done here, is going to call people down for prayer and whatever else they need. I'm going to be down here handing out hugs. <laughs> so if anybody wants some, I'm feeling pulled by the Spirit right now. Come on down. And the last thing I want to tell you, and this is for my buddy Dan, to honor the uh, word that was given to me at my men's retreat, I've decided to title this message, Cake. (laughs) Thank you. Wow. Isn't that beautiful? You know, this church is named Quest. Quest is a journey. And I think this illustrates several things, and I want to make an invitation around a couple of them. It illustrates for us that that it's a lifetime thing. As Steve said, his journey hasn't started. It's been going on for a long time, and there's more to go. There was a decision point for him to surrender his pride to Christ. And for some of you here today, You've heard this, and you're at the point where you're ready to make that surrender point. It comes for all of us at some point. Going past that point doesn't make us any different. We're still seekers before. We're still seekers after. And what Christ asks us to do in both of those areas, on either side of that that decision, is to live as friends. We heard in his story the friendship of many of many of you was a key part. It wasn't so much the arguments, it was the friendship of walking with him while he struggled through his journey. So first invitation, if you're here today and you know from listening to him that you're at the same place, you're ready, you're ready to make that decision. You're ready right now to drop that heart in the basket and say, there's no reason why I shouldn't follow. I already believe. Then I want you to make that decision today. If you're not there, the invitation to you is that instead of leaning away in defensiveness towards all your questions in God, would you accept the invitation that Darren made to Steve, that Steve makes to you, and that I make to you today? Would you lean in with an open heart? Because what we've said all along is we're not here to convince you to follow We want to help you lean in with an open heart because we know that God himself will convince you. And you will be so convinced that nobody will have to talk you into it. And that's the place where God wants for all of you to be. Some of you have been in the church your whole life. Some of you have declared faith in Jesus your whole life, but you don't have any relationship with him. It's a religion to you. 
And God wants to take it past that to the point where you can see your brokenness, your imperfection, and see how much he loves you, and it becomes a relationship that you are convinced of. And the third invitation is for those of you who are convinced of that. I want you to just pray and ask God, who can I be friends with to walk with them more closely in their journey to faith? So those are the three invitations. I'm going to pray now, and then we're going to ask anybody who wants to respond to respond to that. Lord, we thank you that you have uh, proven that wisdom is right. That you are a God who will prove yourself. When we seek him, you will be found. When we seek you, you will be found. And Lord, that you are proving even before us in this testimony today that it's not about convincing, it's not about arguments, it's not about, it's not about self-protection, it's about being friends. And you working simply and powerfully through us in ways that we don't even know right away that you are. So, Lord, I pray for those here who, who are ready to make the decision. I pray that they would. For those here who are not ready, I pray that they would change their position and that you would help them lean into you with an open heart, saying, Lord, regardless of my questions, regardless of my objections, would you make yourself known to me? And, Lord, we trust you to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. So, come. If you're at a point today where you're ready to make that decision, come and talk to someone. Grab a friend or come talk to someone down here. Take a hug from Steve. Take a hug from anybody. Uh, and if, you, uh, if you're at a point where you're going, yeah, you know what? I need to learn to lean in. Part of that leaning in is getting in relationship and friendship because God wants to be your friend and he demonstrates some of that through friends around you as you're seeking. God bless. Have a good week.